Perak Aleph. The Neshama, the soul, sits on high, under God's throne, basking in the rays of the Almighty, enjoying itself. And suddenly it is told you need to go down to the Gashmias, the physical world, and that's going to be your purpose. And the soul says, why? What do I have to do in a physical world? Godliness is hidden. I don't want to go. And he is told your purpose will be seen once you get down there. You are going, you reader, your descending into the world will affect an eventual ascent. Not just of the world. You won't just elevate the world. You will also elevate yourself, your physical body, and even the neshama, the soul itself. And this is where the Altrava begins the Tanya. At the moment when the child is about to enter the world, at the moment when that neshama is going to leave its spiritual place on high, the Altarebbe starts the Tanya. And he quotes a brysa. The brysa was written after the Mishnah was finished with different statements from the sages that were not put into the Mishnah. The Altarebbe quotes Rav Simlai, who says that while the child is in the mother's womb, he is being taught the entire Tyra. And right before he is born, a malach, an angel comes, taps him on the lip, and he forgets everything he has learnt. And then, continues the brysa, he is made to swear. And this is where the Tanya begins. The neshama is made to swear, be a tzaddik, a righteous one, and not a rasha, a wicked one. And even if the whole world tells you that you are a tzaddik, you should be in your eyes like a rasha. This is the promise that the neshama swears before it is born. And already in the first words of the Tanya, the Altarebbe is teaching us a very powerful lesson. Generally speaking, the word Tanya is used when we don't know the author of a quote. Here, though, we do know the author of the quote. Why is the Altarebbe using the word Tanya? So we are given a few different answers. One of the answers is that there is a very powerful clipper, an unholy force called Tanya. And its goal is to stop people learning about the secrets of the Torah. And when we learn the secrets of the Torah, and when the Altarebbe started the Tanya with the word Tanya, we are able to diminish the strength of this clipper. Also, if we mix up the word Tanya, the letters in the word, we get to the word Asan, which means strength. When we learn Tanya, the Torah Shabbat of Hasidus, we are awakening and revealing the strength of Asan, of the Neshama. So what is the purpose of this Shavuah, of this promise? Why do people make a promise? Sometimes a promise is made to strengthen a relationship. So too, the neshama, the soul, is in a very spiritual state right now. And he wants to make sure that when he goes down into the world, into the physical, non-revealed godliness world, 
he will be able to continue this relationship with the Almighty. So he makes a promise. I want to strengthen this relationship. The word mashpin in Hebrew also has the letters that spell out the word satisfied. One of the things that we know is that when a person is full, they feel satisfied. When the neshama, when the soul makes this promise, he is filled up with enough strength to fulfill the promise. God doesn't send him down to this world with no tools to complete his mission. God fills him up with all the tools he needs in order to complete his mission. Another word in the word mashpim is the word sheva, seven. Each of our souls have ten strengths, three intellectual and seven emotional. God at this time energizes these seven strengths of ours in order to give the neshama a fighting chance to fulfill its mission. So even though this promise may seem like a pretty serious thing, the promise comes along with tremendous strength and help to fulfill the promise. And on a very basic, simple level, the promise is clear. Tahit Sadik, be a righteous one. Do the mitzvahs, the commandments that God has commanded you to do. Al Tahi Rasha, don't be wicked. Don't do anything that God has prohibited you from doing. Pretty simple. And then the promise continues. That even if the whole world says that you're a tzaddik, view yourself as a rasha. There's a statement from Chazal, from the sages. Each person is a small world. So what this price is telling us is that not just if everyone around you thinks that you're righteous, should you remember that actually I'm not. But even if you yourself think that you're righteous, remember that you're actually a Russia. Now imagine you see two fields. One, the earth looks flat, clear, nice, and the other one looks a mess. Which field do you think is better? Generally speaking, in order to plant, what you need to do is plow the field and it looks a mess. But only after you've plowed and then planted will something grow. A field that's flat, that the earth has never been turned over, is not going to grow anything. What the Altreba is going to do now is start asking questions. And the more questions that he asks, the more of a mess the field becomes. But it's all in order to grow beautiful explanations and understanding of what we really have inside on a spiritual level. So the Altreba begins by asking questions on the second part of the promise. The first question that the Altreba asks is a very simple one. In the Torah... One cannot argue with someone who has come earlier. So the Talmud can't argue with the Torah. The Talmud also can't argue with the Mishnah. 
a later commentator can't argue with the Gemara. So the Altruba comes and says that if we look in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, it says, Altihi Rasha Bifne Atzmacha. Don't view yourself as a Russia, which is a direct contradiction. But the Pirkei Avot came first. So who's right? You can't argue with someone who came earlier. So we have our first question. What exactly does it mean, view yourself as a Russia? And then we have a second question. The second question is very practical. If one is to think of themselves as a Russia, as a wicked person, it's almost impossible to serve God properly. Either you get depressed. I'm a wicked person. I'm a horrible person. I'm just not a good person. That's not conducive to serving Hashem with joy. And some people might say, okay, it doesn't bother me anymore. So I'm a wicked person. And if I'm a wicked person, I don't care what I do. So who cares if I do things that I shouldn't do? Who cares if I stop my relationship with God? I don't care anymore. So either way, this statement that the neshama is made to swear seems to be very difficult to understand. And after this digging up the field, the Altarebbe now says, in order to understand any of this, we have to first get to the deeper meanings of who we are. So let's start by describing five different types of people as mentioned in the Gemara. The first one mentioned in the Gemara is a tzaddik v'tayvlai, a tzaddik who has good. There is a tzaddik v'ralai, a tzaddik who has bad. Rasha v'tayvlai, a wicked one who has good. A rasha v'ralai, a wicked one who has bad. And a benini, an in-between person. And in the Gemara, in the revealed parts of the Torah, it describes these people on a more physical level. A tzaddik who has good, has a good life in a physical level, with his livelihood, with his children, with his health, and that's what's visible. So we assume that also his spiritual status is the same. The tzaddik v'ralai, the tzaddik who has bad, is righteous, but he has a pretty hard life. So we would think that maybe his spiritual status is lacking. And this is the nigla, the revealed parts of the Torah's explanation. And next, the Altarebbe comes and brings the explanation of the Raya Mehemna. The Raya Mehemna is a sefer that deals with the hidden parts of Torah. And in the Raya Mehemna, it talks about then when we say that somebody is a tzaddik v'raloi or a tzaddik v'tayvloi, it is talking about their spiritual status. A tzaddik v'tayvloi is a perfect tzaddik who has nothing evil inside him. The tzaddik v'raloi still has a tiny bit of evil inside him. The Gemara also explains that tzaddikim are ruled by their yetzatayv, by their force of good, and rishayim, by their yetzahara. And the benini, says the Gemara, zevazeshayftan, he is ruled by both the yetzahara and the yetzatayv. He is 50-50. The common explanation to benini, zevazeshayftan, 
is that the Bainani is 50-50, 50% good, 50% bad. The Altrebbe is now going to explain and prove why that is not the case and explain how Zevazer Shoiftan really means something else. The Altrebbe brings an example of Rabbah. Rabbah was a very famous sage and he was teaching this concept and he said, you know what, an example of this is me, I'm a Bainani. Abaya, his fellow sage, said to him, that doesn't make sense. If you are a Bainani, then you're not leaving space for anyone else. We're all dead. What does that mean? One explanation given is that Rabbah was the Sadiq Yisraelim. He was the righteous one who the world stands on. Every generation has someone who upholds the world with his righteousness. If he was a Bainani, if he was 50-50 in his goodness and his evilness, then how is the world existing? None of us are able to live. Obviously, Rabba was not a Bainani. In addition, if Rabba was a Bainani, then anyone on a level lower than him was a Russia, was wicked. And one of the things that we know is that Roshayim Kuremesim, wicked are compared, are called dead. So if Rabba is a Bainani and everybody else is a Russia, then automatically he's not leaving space for anyone to live. The al says, here's my first proof that a Bainani is not somebody who's 50-50 because Rabba would never have made that mistake if a Bainani was 50-50, 50% righteousness and 50% wickedness. So what is a Tzaddik? What is a Russia? And what is a Bainani? And the al in the following prokim, in the following chapters, will begin over many, many prokim, to explain these concepts. Because what looks at first glance to be very simple is a little bit more detailed and more in-depth than we could ever imagine.